Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. All right, so chapter 11, human resource management. What do you guys think human resource management means? What does that mean? When I talk about HRM or human resource management, what does that mean to you? What does human resources, what do they do? When you say, oh, I got to go to human resources or what's involved in that? Any ideas? They handle the public. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, easy giveaways, they handle humans, right? <laughs> they, they deal with humans, yeah. So human resources is really kind of an umbrella-like department. If I can draw a really jacked-up umbrella. There's my umbrella. Yay. But they handle so many different things under that umbrella. They, they do hiring. They do training. They do benefits, like you know, medical insurance, life insurance, right? They do uh, evaluation. They do um, terminations. They 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 are involved. Like usually, managers will terminate, but they are involved in that termination process. They do a lot of professional paperwork. Um, they do compliance stuff. So, and this is not all inclusive. They do recruiting. Um, and so just those right there are just kind of like some of the big areas, but there's, there's more to it than that. Um, they do, they actually do um, strategic management too. Strategic management uh, in that during different times of the year, depending on the type of organization that you're involved in, they have to help plan for human resource needs. I was at Walmart a couple days ago and I just kind of randomly looked at an associate's name badge and on the, um, on the badge it had something like temporary holiday associate or something like, or temporary associate, something like that. So this person was hired just to come in for the month of November, December, January probably. They know that their job is not permanent, but if they do well, and depending on where they're at in January, they may consider keeping that person as a permanent position. Has anybody ever worked a temporary job? You get hired just to do temporary work for the holidays? I never have, um, but I would consider doing it depending on what the the opportunity was, you know. Um, So, yeah, under that HR umbrella, I guess I can throw that up there too, HRM. HRM. There's just a ton of different things that they're involved in. And this chapter talks about all these different aspects of human resource management. So learning outcomes, what has been the evolution of human resource management over the years and what is the current value it provides to an organization? How does the human resources compliance role of HR provide value to a company? How do performance management practices impact company performance? How do companies use reward strategies to influence employee performance and motivation? What is talent acquisition and how can it create a competitive advantage for a company? What are the benefits of talent development and succession planning? So that's kind of our, uh, our overview, outcome or learning overview for this chapter. 
And so let's talk about the evolution of HR real quick. There's been a couple different waves that have occurred. So in the beginning, we had HR administration, and that was very basic where uh, you go to an HR office, you fill out your I-9, your tax documentation, you fill out some compliance paperwork stuff, and they're there just as an administrator. And then second wave, you get more into um, it becoming a profession where you're doing practical application stuff. Um, you know. And third wave, it gets more into strategy where you're trying to figure out that strategic management piece and understanding you know, how many people we've got, how many people we're going to need, what's that going to take. And then HR outside in is the fourth wave. We're actually taking a more uh, macro view and looking at other organizations, what they're doing, how can we adapt that to ours. That, that's, that's really become uh, a essential strategic uh, part of an organization. And so just to elaborate a little bit more on this, human resource management over the years has served many purposes within an organization from its earliest inception as a primary compliance type function, it has further expanded and evolved into its current state as a key driver of human capital development. You gotta keep in mind that organizations, a lot of their resources are poured into people. The payroll is a major expense for an organization. I know on the farm, that's, that's a major expense, right? Payroll. And so like, if you're pouring money resources, you know, money is energy expended, right? You've earned that money from somewhere. So you want to guard it preciously and make sure that you're using it wisely to get a return on that investment. And so when you're paying that payroll, you want to make sure, are we using that money, are they using that human capital the most appropriate way? I'm sure every, every month, every week, every month, you guys are thinking, how can we effectively use the people that we have coming to help us, right? Like what's the most important thing they can do? How can we get the most value out of that individual? You know, do they need to be over here doing this or they need to be over there doing that? You know, that's that's the things that you're challenged with. So going back to that wave one, it focused on administrative work of HR personnel, such as terms and condition of work, delivery of HR services and regulatory compliance. Wave two focused on the design of innovation, innovative HR practices, such as uh, compensation, learning, communication and sourcing. The HR professionals in these practices uh, practice areas began to interact and share with each other to build a consistent approach to human resource management. And then in wave three, this is a more recent evolution, HR over the last 10 to 15 years, I'm sorry, 15 to 20 years or so has focused on the integration of HR strategy with the overall business strategy. Human resources appropriately began to look at the business strategy to determine what HR priorities to work on and how to best use resources. HR began its, uh, to be a true partner to the business. So management leans very heavily on HR now to make sure that they've got you know, the resources they need to use to get their job done. So HR in the fourth wave continues to be a partner to the business, but also has become a competitive practice for responding to external business conditions. And that is extremely true nowadays. We're in a very dynamic environment. Have you guys seen the, the articles or headlines that a chunk of workers don't want to go back to the office after the pandemic. Have you guys seen stuff like that? There's been some studies that have come out. I, they're not, I don't think they're peer reviewed or science based studies, but they're just, you know, I guess informational studies. And they sampled, you know, like a thousand workers that were office based workers to see what percentage would be willing to come back to the office after the pandemic because they've been able to do their job remotely for a year now or more, right? And something like, 50, 60, 70%, a big chunk of them said, 
we would not be interested in going back to the office because we can manage our lives at home. We could go pick up the kids from school. You know, we could still get things done and not have to be in a cubicle from eight to five. And I agree a hundred percent. Like it's inefficient to bring a hundred bodies to a building just to have them in that building when you can decentralize that and have people, you know, if they're in their home and they're getting their job done, what's the difference, right? So like, this is just looking at things efficiently. And if you allow people to work remotely and it helps with morale, it helps them manage their, their personal and their professional life. Yeah. And what happens anyway, if you have somebody in an office from eight to five, they're working on personal stuff anyway. You cannot turn off your personal life from eight to five and just pick it back up at five o'clock. Like you get phone calls from family members or uh, business, personal business things that pop up and those things have to be done, you know, like, and so uh, I think the coming decade is going to see a revolution in the employer employee relationship where employees will say, look, you need workers to get your, to make your money, right? Well, we will work, but we want flexibility. We want autonomy. We want to be able to, be able to deliver a quality result, good outcomes, but we want to be able to have some flexibility and freedom of that. Not every job is going to allow for that. You know, some people have to be on the job at that location, but there's a large group of people that don't have to be. I've got a friend that works for Apple. She works out of her house. She's got a computer terminal. She's got a headset. She does uh, tech support and has done it for years, and that's, that's her full-time job. And so she's able to balance that out. Um, I actually called... Who did I call? I called Verizon within the past year to get something worked out. And the guy I was talking to was working out of his house. He was in Oregon, actually. I had a long conversation with the guy. And we just, you know, we talked for probably an hour, but we were t- working on issues, trying to work with me on that. But we were, you know, finding out some information about him while I'm talking to him. And, you know, there is something to be said for giving people that freedom and autonomy where they don't have to get up and rat race to a building every day. Don't get me wrong. I like coming to the office. Uh, but even on this campus, there's, you know, there was some like issue with having to be here during the pandemic when students weren't here. It's like, well, we can, we're, we're virtual 100%. So why do I need to come to a building if it's all virtual anyway? You know, like I get it, you know. So I see both sides of it. Um, what, what do you guys think about that? You know, do you think that, you know, just tell me what's your thoughts on that. Do you think there will be more opportunity to work from home? Or we're going to go back to like a pre-pandemic, everybody come to an office and sit there for 10 hours. I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah. <clears throat> right. My uncle is an artist. He's a graphic designer, and he's been that for his whole career. He works for a company called MJ Sophie. It's a t-shirt, sweatshirt manufacturer. You know when, like, a college wins a championship and it'll say 2021 champions on it, you know, and have a logo? He does stuff like that, you know. And there's no reason whatsoever why he should have to get in his car every day and drive, you know, 15 miles or 20 miles down the road to a company to walk into an office to sit at a computer when they could just say, you know what, take that computer to your house, set it up, We'll get you a rock-solid internet connection, whatever. And if somebody needs you, they'll just pick up the phone or Zoom, zoom you in. And he can sit right there at his kitchen table and do everything that needs to be done right from his house every day. You know? I mean, uh, like I said, I think, I think that's kind of where the future is going. It will save a lot of commute and a lot of – there's a lot of uh, stress that comes just from the commute. So it saves a lot of time. Um, when I was management at Walmart, 
my first job, I had to drive two hours a day, one hour there, one hour back. And so five days a week, that's 10 extra hours of, of work time that I'm not be able to use. Walmart doesn't care about that. But if I'm already working a 50-hour work week, now I'm working a 60-hour work week with a commute. That's, I mean, and they've done studies on this to look at productivity. You know, uh, this is 10, 20, 30, 40 hours. If this is 100% productivity, which is nobody hits, and that's 50%, most people are productive about right here, but it tapers towards that 40-hour work week. You get right here and you think, okay, it's the weekend. Well, if you work any time after that, that productivity declines sharply. Um, and they've actually studied productivity in human beings for a long time, and they know that 40-hour work week is built around the idea of that's, that's the maximum you could get that you're getting good productive work out of. You're not getting productivity out of somebody working 50, 60 hours a week. It's just, you know, I mean, you burn people out. You might could do short spurts of that where they work 50, 60 hours for like a month or so. But after that, you burn out. You fr you're fried. You're, you can't rest. Like, I've been going six days a week pretty consistently for a couple months now because of uh, we're in a harvest season. But, like, I think this weekend is my last weekend to go glean. And after that, you know, I'm going I'm to take a break, you know, be, be nice. But... Um, so moving on to human resource management, uh, it provides value to an organization to a large extent via its management of overall employees' life cycle. The employees follow from hiring and onboarding to performance management and talent development, all the way through transitions such as job change, promotion, retirement, and exit. So there is this life cycle. We'll draw it kind of like this. So what ends up happening is employee number one starts here and they go through this cycle of you know onboarding and training and performance and then at some point they reach the exit and that's when employee number two picks up and they go through a similar cycle and then employee number three picks up after they finish their path and it's just a perpetual cycle that people go through um, just like a uh, I guess a demand curve or a um, product life cycle you have this you know you have this beginning infancy of a product life cycle a plateau and a decline. And you have some control over that, but um, the trend that we see nowadays is people stay at a company three to five years. They'll come in, they'll do what they gotta do, and at the five year mark or so, people jump ship and go somewhere else. Um, and you know, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but uh, decades ago, people would stay at a company for 30 or 40 years. You know, that trend has changed. So human capital is a key competitive advantage to companies. Those who utilize their human resource partners effectively to drive their human capital strategies will reap the benefits. Keep, like, never forget, like, the reason somebody pays you a salary, let's say you get hired right out of college, you're making $40,000 a year. The reason they're paying you $40,000 is because they see value in having you there and to get paid $40,000. It's not just because, oh, let's hire somebody and give them forty grand. No, that money is a direct relationship to the value you provide. So if somebody's paying you $40,000, they are probably making dollars dollars $500,000 in value off of you. <clears throat> that's why you're valuable to them. And so if I have a CEO that's getting paid $20 million a year, is it because they feel generous and they want to give that person $20 million? No, it's because they're leading a company that's probably making billions of dollars in profit. And $20 million is nothing compared to you know, $2 billion in profit. So... Um, human resource management includes the leadership and facilitation of the following key life cycle process areas. <clears throat> human resource compliance. We talked about that already right here. 
employee selection, hiring and onboarding, performance management, compensation, rewards and benefits, talent development, and succession planning. Human resource compliance is an area that tra traces back to the very origin of human resources function to administrative and regulatory functions. So what do we mean by compliance? What does that mean? <clears throat> yep, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing in, 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 I guess, in relation to the regulations or laws. So, like, as an example, uh, labor law says that you're not supposed to work over six hours without a break. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a normal labor law. And so, like, if your employer asks you to work beyond six hours without a break, they're in violation of a labor law, you know. Um, another one is if you work over 40 hours within a calendar week, you're supposed to get overtime. If your employer wants to have you work more than 40 hours and not pay you overtime, that's a violation of a labor law. So compliance is a big deal, and uh, most employers would rather comply than face the consequences of noncompliance because the penalties for noncompliance can be steep. You know, uh, The problem with individual employees, though, is that if they want to blow the whistle, it's often detrimental to the individual. It's not fair. It's not right. But like, just like we saw in that Wills Fargo documentary, right, this employee, um, she blew the whistle and she paid a consequence because she stood up for her employment rights, you know. It's not fair, it's not right, but that's kind of, uh, kind of what goes on. So some of the most common examples of laws and regulations that govern the employer-employee relationship include the following. The Age Discrimination and Employment Act, American with Disabilities Act, Fair Labor Standards Act, Family and Medical Leave Act, National Labor Relations Act, Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act. So there's a ton of different types of compliance that the employers have to follow. Management is responsible for knowing these things, but uh, HR is kind of like the ringleader when it comes to making sure that an organization is knowledgeable about this and follows this direction. Uh, I'll say that some of the ones that I've had uh, more, uh, I guess, uh, experience with are the Family Medical Leave Act. Does anybody know what's involved in that act? Or have you heard of it? So FMLA, and if you go to Starbucks and look at their, they should have somewhere in their back, back room a poster that talks about labor law. Have you seen that hanging up anywhere? No? Try to look at like their bulletin board somewhere in the back. It should hang up back there somewhere that explains your rights as an employee. I think most all businesses are required to post something like that. Okay. Right. Yeah, it's one of the modules, yeah. So with the FMLA, though, the, the Act now guarantees that if you have a substantive illness, your child has a substantive illness uh, or medical need, or a significant other spouse has a substantive illness or medical need, you can be out for an extended length of time. I think it's 16 weeks, maybe more. They've been playing with that lately. Uh, but So that's four months. And... They don't have to pay you, but they can't take your job away from you during that time frame. And so, yeah, uh, you know, it's, um, it's just one of those things that it kind of gives us that protection. Um, it's not right. It's not fair. Organizations do and will retaliate against you for using it, though. Isn't that crazy? Like, let's say that 
if if you have a medical issue and you have to be out for a month, well, the organization's not going to like that very much. You know, they're not going to like that either. They have to pay you, or uh, they they just have to retain your job. So they may have some animosity towards you or some retaliation against you, and it's hard to prove that you're being retaliated against for that reason. You know, um, talking about it now, when I was at Walmart, I took a two week FMLA leave, and they did not like that, of course, but I had a right to do it. And that being said, I don't know if they retaliated against me per se, but they were very hostile, you know, towards me, you know, after I came back. Uh, it may or may not have been related to that, I don't know. But I'll say that just because these laws are in place does not mean that organizations don't uh, follow them 100%. Age discrimination. If you have an older employee come in that's in their 60s and a younger employee that comes in, that's in their uh, 20s and you know the position is a somewhat physical uh, position and the older employee wants more money than the younger employee there's gonna be like you know they could go with the younger employee for uh, physical reasons and the lesser pay but the older employee could perceive that it was because of age you know and so like these things really do uh, occur uh, another one that's uh, the that's a labor law that is uh, falls into that discrimination. Um, women who apply for jobs and go to interviews that are pregnant. So like, we we are banned. So when I say we, I mean organizations, everybody from even discussing family things out on the job interviews. Like if you go to an interview, they start asking about your family. They start asking about your uh, any legally protected status. They start asking about uh, you know uh, your. Uh, identity, gender, uh, religion, any of those legally protected status, those are in violation of labor law. And so that comes back to that compliance thing. HR needs to kind of spearhead that. And most most organizations I've worked with uh, in the past 10 years, which I've only worked for two, but uh, most of the experience I've had in the past 10 years, they give you a pre-formatted set of questions that you have to follow. And you ask those questions, and it stays within the lines of compliance. Because... Um, you may just be having a friendly conversation and say, you know, tell me, tell me about your family. That seems like a pretty, uh, I guess, simple or, or like friendly question. But some people have complicated family, you know, situations or uh, they don't want to talk about their family. You know, I mean, so uh, that is a def- that could put people on defense and make them feel like they're being discriminated against, you know, depending on how they answer. Or what church do you go to? Right. That could, you know, what if they're, they don't go to church? You know, nothing, I mean, no discrimination, nothing wrong with that. This is America. They can choose to do what they want to. Or what if their religion is different from your religion? Uh, you know, or if, what if they're atheists? You know, I mean, so what does that have to do with the job, right? So these types of questions can really fall into this discrimination bucket. And even if the, the asker doesn't mean to do that, it can, it can be a sensitive thing. So you want to stay within the lines of compliance and make sure that you're not asking people questions that could be construed as discrimination because you could get in some hot water pretty quickly. Um, people have sued organizations uh, over not being hired. Isn't that crazy? I mean, they could claim whatever, you know. And so uh, now is that reality? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. You know, sometimes people don't get hired because of discrimination. Other times, it just that their perception is not reality, you know. And the organization made a, a different choice, and they they are able to articulate why they made that choice. So, 
Um, any questions on any of these labor laws that you want to discuss any further before I jump in a little further into the chapter? I know I've talked a lot already about this stuff, so I just wanted to see if you guys have any questions. Just know that there is a, a lot of compliance that organizations should be following. Just because compliance exists and laws exist doesn't mean that organizations follow them to the letter. So you need to have an awareness of that. And a good way to do that, this sounds so simple, but a gut check. If something doesn't feel right or doesn't smell right that happens in an organization, your gut kind of can tell you that, right? You know when something's not right. You feel it. And so you need to start questioning, does, did they handle that correctly? Or is this, is this the right way to do this? So, all right. So moving along, let's talk about performance management. This is where we actually assess what a person is doing. Are they doing it correctly? And are we maximizing their efforts? So practices and processes are among the most important that human resource manages, yet they are also among the most contentious process in the organization. Many people view performance management as a human resource role and believe that it is in some parallel path with the business. In a recent public survey by Deloitte Services, 58% of executives surveyed believe that their current performance management approach drives neither employee engagement nor high performance. So that's the majority of management saying that they believe that engagement doesn't drive performance. That's, that's, a, that's a significant number. In light of this study, Deloitte became one of the companies that has recently sought to redesign their performance process. As a part of the radical redesign, they seek to see performance at the individual level, and thus they ask team leaders about their own future actions and decisions with respect to each individual. They ask leaders what they do uh, with their team members, not what they think of them. The four questions that Deloitte asked the managers are, are as follows. Given what I know of this person's performance, and if, I, and if it were my money, would I award this person the highest possible compensation increase and bonus? That's a pretty telling question. If you hesitate, that means that this person is probably not performing the best they could. Given what I know of this person's performance, I would always want him or her on my team. That's a important question because you remember back in the kindergarten we had kickball and they had two captains and they picked the teams. You guys remember doing something like that? Yeah. Who gets picked first? Is It's usually the best friend or the best athlete, right? And so, yeah. Uh, and so it's fast forward to today, the same things happen in business. I've seen nepotism happen at different businesses. Nepotism is where they hire family and friends, you know. So, like, I've seen positions created for family and friends. And I'm like, this is a little unethical. You know, there's an ethical gray area there about, okay, I'm running this company. I'm going to create a six-figure salary position and hire my best friend. Uh, you know, that doesn't smell right. And if you work at that company and you've seen that happen, how does that make you feel, right? There's some, there's some, there's some motivation issues that go into play there. This person is at risk for being for low performance, yes or no? And then this person is ready for a promotion today, yes or no? And so those questions are revelatory. They, they identify in a nutshell kind of where that employee stands. And so uh, that's a good litmus test to kind of identify high-performing and low-performing individuals. Uh, this is kind of a difficult question I'll ask. What do you think really motivates people? What do you think really motivates people to give good performance? Oh, my chair's sinking. There we go. Any ideas? What? Significant others motivates people, okay. What, what type of motivation? What do you think motivates people? 
Benefits, okay. What do you think, sir? Family motivates, okay. Yeah, it's motivation is a complicated subject. I love talking about it. I studied it uh, for years, and I did my, my, my doctoral uh, thesis on it. But basically, motivation is a, is a combination of several different factors. And um, what we find, though, gives really good motivation is connecting individual wants and needs to outcomes. And so, like, if I hired John to come work with me, and John is not really interested in it, he doesn't care, then the money is not going to really drive him. You know, like, if I say, okay, John, I'm going to give you $100 to do this job, and he's not really excited about it, he's not, not really interested, then the money is not really that big of a motivator. It's nice, but, you know, he's just going to try to get through it. If I look at John and then say, okay, well, that didn't help, so how about I pay you $200 to do this job? He might feel a little more motivated, but... Then I say, I come bring John in, okay, so I paid you 100, it didn't really motivate you. I paid you 200, it didn't really motivate you. So let's talk about what you do and what you want to do. And then I find out that John is actually really good at this thing. I said, well, how can I align John with that thing that he's excited to go do and he, he seeks that out? So quick story on that. Uh, when I got out of college, I did not know what I wanted to do when I grew up, right? I was 25 years old, which is still very young. Uh, I thought that was old. I thought, you know, 25, I'm an old man now, right? No. So, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I knew I wanted to work in business, you know, I'd study business. And went and got a job at Walmart. I thought, you know, big company, take me places. I actually got an opportunity to go work in Hawaii at uh, one of the Walmart stores, but I turned it down just because of the economics. I mean, uh, very expensive place to live, you know. Uh, you, you, my pay would have doubled, but my expenses would have doubled, you know, and it... It just would have been, I felt, would have felt claustrophobic. It's a small island, and you're kind of landlocked, you know, or you're surrounded by water, you know. So, anyway, uh, I, I learned a lot at Walmart, but I wasn't really motivated. I, I, I did good work, but I didn't connect with the work. I felt like this is not what I need to be doing my rest of my life. You know, I was there for the money. I thought, you know, one day I'm going to be a store manager. I'm going to make six figures. It's going to be great. But the pain of going through a 20-year tour to get to a maybe a six-figure salary, maybe not, that was just a very painful proposition. So, Because uh, Walmart's a very negative place to work. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's just a negative work environment. So I said, you know, this is not for me. I want to work somewhere that's positive, inspirational, and I feel good about the work I do. So that led me to education, and it was night and day. You know, almost everybody I know in education is positive, uh, and they – have their 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 goal oriented. They're they're excited to do good things and to help people. So there's an altruistic thing that goes with it. I make uh, when I left Walmart and went to education, I took a pay cut, but I've since kind of recouped that, and I'm hoping to do better in the future. So um, the thing that you need to align yourself with when you graduate and you decide to go work is uh, is this work going to be? Does it gonna, am I going to be excited to get up and do this? You know. And, you know, the money, you may think, oh, I'm going to make all this money. But if you're not excited to get up and do it, it doesn't matter. You know, like, uh, you need to find things because you live a third of your life at work, right? A third of your day is sleeping. A third of your day is at home. The other third is at work. And so if you're going to do something for a third of the rest of your life, you need to feel good about it. There was another survey that came out years ago that said that 80% of people that work don't like their job. That's a big number. I mean, and I look around, and most people, I think that's true. You know, most people don't like their job. Um, and so 
what we can do is work towards aligning ourselves with work that we connect with. You know, it took me till I was 35 when I finally got a job in education, and I felt like I finally arrived at where I'm supposed to be. You know, even though the money's not where I would want to be long term, I felt like this is a good place to be. I feel like I connect with what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, and here I am. So that's what you guys have got to figure out is what path do I need to be on? Has it aligned with, you know, my personal health, well-being, happiness? And what do I need to do to get through that door to become that person or do that thing? So, all right, we'll take a time out here for today and pick it back up on Friday and we'll wrap up the chapter on human resources. And did you guys get the meme I sent out yesterday? Did you like it? Yes. Do you want more of that kind of stuff or less? You want more? Okay. Yeah, I sent an email yesterday. So I actually got some good responses. Um, uh, so uh, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to do different creative things to connect with students. So hope you like it. I'll be sending out more stuff like that on a weekly.